Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Numa Church. Welcome to our revival service. Uh, God is doing something extraordinary and profound. Um, we're not in charge of this, God is. And uh, we're just learning to navigate the wind of the Spirit. Be careful what name you call the church, Numa, Spirit, Wind and Breath. How many of us know names are powerful? And what we call things actually is a prophetic symbol and sign of what God wants to do. Uh, my wife and I and a small team had the privilege of heading over to our Numa San Francisco campus and our location, and Don and Hannah, who are just starting that work. Um, we, we haven't actually officially started a service yet, but they've been there six weeks and they've been immersing themselves in the culture. And San Francisco right now is an absolute spiritual war zone. Uh, there's more homelessness, open public drug usage. The police ignore it because there's just so much rampant drug usage and they don't know what to do. And if ever there was a time, so many, apparently 50,000 Californians a month left over the last two years and headed to Texas uh, because of all that was going on in California. And a lot of churches shut down. If ever there was a time for the church to be planted in that city. And for those of you who don't know about Numa, we're a church in multiple locations. We've just started that work. And then we had the privilege of heading over to Bethel and um, met so many people that we'd ministered to over the years. They're there saying, I'm here because of what God spoke over our lives many years ago through your ministry. And they just embraced us and our hearts really knitted to them. And, and we just saw the Spirit of God break out. Not only did we receive in amazing and crazy ways, but we started to, because of what's happening here, that spirit of prophecy got on us. And now we're ministering to them. And, and there, there's this footage of like, you know, carnage of 20, bodies all at the front of one of the Bethel services and and so that, they just adopted us as family while we we're over there and they had already heard about what's happening here in Melbourne and what God is doing and so we really celebrate that and then on the way back uh, through LA we had the privilege of praying down at Azusa Street the birthplace of uh, 1906 Pentecostalism the Azusa Street mission and after we, some of our team ministered to uh, a man that was there, he told us, hey, you've got to go to Bonnie Bray House. And for those of you who may know the history of Azusa Street, Bonnie Bray House was the house where they had a prayer meeting where um, Bonnie Bray prayed over um, uh, Papa William Seymour, the African-American that was the, the, the forefather of Azusa Street. And so we went over there. It was all locked up and... Um, and uh, we were just taking photos and we're gonna pray out the front. When the front door of Bonnie Bray House opened, and it's now a heritage listed site, it's like a small little museum of what God did over a hundred and something years ago. And out came the custodian and caretaker in her 70s. We found out her name was Mama Soul. She said, call me Mama Soul. She was a, a Mexican widow who had lived in the house for 20 years in the 80s and 90s and for the last 20, 30 years was a custodian and caretaker and servant of this house, keeping it. And every day she goes, and if there's no appointments to go and look through the site, she prays, opens her Bible and prays in the living room where William Seymour got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She opened the door and she said, 
Um, the Lord has told me, I heard your voices and was not going to open to you. Because if you haven't made an appointment, she said, you're not getting in. And normally she said, you'd only get in for 10, 20 minutes. She said, the Lord spoke to me as I was praying and said, you need to open the door to that group of people because my favor is on them. I want them to be in this house. And so we go into the house. It was the most extraordinary encounter. We go into the house where William Seymour was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the birthplace of Azusa Street. We sat and not just sat, but actually lied down on the very site where he was baptized in the Spirit. The presence of God hit us, overwhelmed us. And for 30, 40 minutes, we had a prayer meeting in that house where Azusa Street began. God began to speak. Uh, then she laid hands on us and anointed and prophesied over this church, prophesied over our lives of what God is about to do. Then she said, hey, I'll take you into the room where Catherine Coleman's pulpit is. And so we went next door and you bet we laid hands on that thing. Lord, we, we, we pulpit sucked that thing out, man. We're like anointing come now. And, 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 and then the, a, a, a man of God from India who we never met had traveled from India. We found out afterwards, traveled from India to come to Bonnie Bray House. He'd made an appointment reservation and asked for, God, for something from God. We didn't know any of this until after the fact. And as we're there in Catherine Coleman's pulpit in the living room, the Lord says to me, he is let in and uh, he's on the, the, the floor there crying out to God. And the Lord says, I want you to turn to him and I want you to prophesy, lay hands on him and prophesy 10,000 souls. And so I turned to him, lay hands, and I said, the Lord is giving you what you are asking for, 10,000 souls. You don't know, we don't know each other, random meeting. He just begins to sob uncontrollably in the room. And after the fact, about 20 minutes later, he says to me, he said, I flew all the way from India to come to Bonnie Bray House to ask the Lord to give me 10,000 souls in this house. And he said, you have confirmed the word of the Lord in my life. I want to tell you, we serve an amazing God. There are no coincidences or accidents in God. There are divine sovereign appointments. And if you're here tonight, that you're here by divine sovereign intervention of God to receive something. And so clearly, I was going to preach on healing tonight, but I felt the Spirit of God say to me, I want, to, want you to speak on freedom. I want you to speak on freedom. Because the church in this nation, not, I'm speaking generally now, I know this is not true everywhere, but even myself, we've been bound by control. We've been bound by a, a, an influence at times that is not an influence of the Spirit of God. And, and the Lord wants us to grow in our freedom in Christ, but He also wants us to grow in what does it mean to be free people? Yeah. Thomas Jefferson said, free people are the most difficult to lead. Why? Because there is a risk that you would use your freedom to make the wrong choices. But when you are a son and daughter of God and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you can actually steward your freedom in such a way that you grow from glory to glory and from strength to strength and that you don't have to make wrong choices. And so I want to speak about freedom tonight from a bit of a different angle, but I want to speak about freedom from the life of Abraham. So I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read the first three verses, and, uh, and, and then we're going to make a few comments, and then we're going to unpack what do we learn about freedom and moving in a spirit of freedom 
from Abraham's life that can really help us today. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, so his name hasn't been changed yet. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Everybody say country. Go from your kindred. Everybody say family. And go from your father's house. Everybody say father's house. To the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Talk about a word from heaven. So I want to speak to you tonight on this idea of God's idea of freedom. What is God's idea of freedom? Because I bump into and meet a lot of people, as I'm sure you do, particularly when you are in having God conversations with people and you are... Uh, witnessing to people and sharing of your faith. And one of the most beautiful and amazing things that has been taking place uh, since this outpouring of the Spirit on for us here at Numa is affectionately coined Super Bowl Sunday, August 28th, at midday when the Spirit of God broke out in this house and we went through a 12-hour service and didn't finish to 9 p.m. that night. And the Spirit of God broke out in such a powerful way. But one of the beautiful things about revival, it isn't just revive you, it revives everyone that you touch and go to and minister to. And so there's been a lot of God conversations with a lot of people. And one of the common responses that you hear when you start to share your faith or talk to people about how Jesus loves them is that I often hear, as I'm sure you do, oh, I'm not religious. Who, who, who's ever heard that? Oh, I'm not religious. And what they mean is, is that, that in their head, to many unbelievers, their view of religion is a restrictive and rule-keeping approach to life. And it's one of the deceptions of the enemy that binds people up and keeps people in a place of limitation and restriction. And as long as people are bound in a place, blinded to the reality of freedom in Christ, they won't be able to break out of that place of limitation and restriction and experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven in their lives. Galatians 5.1 says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, Paul says to the church in Galatia, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So there, there was this issue going on in the church in Galatia where they were starting to perfect by the works of their flesh what the Spirit of God had begun in them. They'd been broken free of the works of their flesh, set free from the, being in bondage to the law, and now they were coming into a place of freedom, and yet someone came in, and the Apostle Paul asked, who has bewitched you? When you and I leave the fullness of the freedom of the Spirit, and we retreat to a lifestyle and even approach to God based upon the works of the flesh or, the, or observance of of law, religious ritual alone to earn our way to salvation or to conduct ourselves in the kingdom of God. It's literally like we've been bewitched. 
It's like we have fallen prey to the spirit of witchcraft and we've been blinded to the freedom that we have in Christ. Being dead in sin and doing whatever you want to do just makes you more of a slave to sin. A lot of people think that if they, you know, I'm not going to embrace the restrictive rule keeping of religion, uh, you know, so the pendulum swing, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. But when you're dead in sin, you actually have no choice but to be a slave to sin. And so doing whatever you want to do just makes you a slave of what you are bound by, which is your sinfulness. The Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And the Bible responds, the prophet responds, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And so we live in a culture where people say, just follow your heart. It's the worst advice you could ever follow. Worst advice. Why? Because apart from Christ, your heart is broken. It's wicked. It's sinful. You you need to repent. It needs to be transformed. You need to be renewed by the Spirit in your mind. And so um, John 8.34 says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Doing whatever you want to do doesn't mean you're free. It means you're just perpetuating your slavery. And so being alive in Christ... But approaching God based on your works just makes you more of a slave to law. And so the deception of Satan, Satan's idea of freedom is actually slavery. Slavery to sin or slavery to the law. Either way, you're outside of freedom in Christ. We're outside of the freedom that Christ has come to give us. God's idea of freedom is not slavery, it's sonship. And whether you're male or female, June or Greek, we're all one in Christ. But that concept of sonship is understanding that you have a heavenly father by whom we cry by the Spirit of God, Abba, Father, that brings us into a place of sonship as the people of God. And it's only as you come into a place of sonship as God is your Father that you can truly experience and taste of the freedom that God has come to give you. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 26, the sons are free. Are there any free sons and daughters in the house tonight? In fact, Jesus goes on to say that it's not the slave that remains in the house forever. It's the son. And so one of the beautiful pictures of this connection between sonship and freedom In the Old Testament, we see many examples of this in the New Testament, particularly in the relationship with Jesus and his Father. But one of the beautiful types and pictures and metaphors of sonship and freedom in the Old Testament, apart from King David, is Abraham. And as we look at Abraham's life, particularly in this encounter with God, we also discover in the book of Galatians, Galatians 3, that the Bible says that those who are of faith are of the offspring of Abraham. And that the blessing and promises of God upon Abraham's life, you and I 
as the offspring of Abraham by faith are to live in the fulfillment and completion of those promises that began in Genesis 12 and beyond. You and I, the church of Jesus Christ today, is a picture of all the promises of God being fulfilled, yes and amen, in our lives. But there are things in Abraham's life and in Genesis 12 that you and I need to understand and have our, our minds renewed about if you and I are going to embrace and live out God's idea of freedom. Are you with me tonight? Freedom in the kingdom of God begins with God said. What was the first thing that God did? The Bible says in verse 1, the Lord God said to Abram. Now, when God spoke to Abram, he was inviting him to a life of freedom beyond his current limitations. If there is one thing that is going to break you out of a place of limitation and restriction and into a place of freedom, it's the voice of God. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, when God spoke to me many years ago about all sorts of different things, as he speaks to you, both through his Logos word and through his Rhema-inspired word, both prophetically and otherwise, when God spoke to me about leaving the police force over 20 years ago, and surrendering my life and answering the call to full-time ministry. He wasn't inviting me into a place of restriction. He was calling me to a place of greater freedom. Even when the Spirit of God corrects you or rebukes you or admonishes you about something, it's not to punish you or to restrict you into a place of bondage and slavery. It's to usher you, it's to transfer you, it's to bring you into a place of freedom. And many people resist the rebuke of the Lord or resist admonishment or correction because they think that it's somehow, you know, controlling, but his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It's to produce the fruit of the Spirit of God in you. It's to actually bring you into a greater dimension and measure of Christ's likeness. And so when God speaks in your life, as he has in my life many times, he, he's actually wanting to bring you into a greater dimension of freedom than you've ever been in in your life. And so when God spoke to Abraham, he was saying to him, Abram, I want to bring you into a greater place of freedom, of relationship with me, but it begins with you responding to my voice. There can be no liberty in your life apart from the revelation of God's word in your life. There is something about the illumination and revelation of God's Word that as you're reading it in your devotions and the light bulb comes on and the Spirit of God speaks to you or even as the spoken Word comes over you now through teaching or maybe a prophetic Word and that Word comes, it breaks something off of you where it's like blindness, spiritual blindness comes off of your eyes and you can begin to see things you've never seen before. How did it come? Through the spoken Word. What does it say? in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. 
and there was light. What a psalm. Uh, I think it's 62 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's the illumination of the word of God that ushers you into a place of freedom where you begin to overcome some of the earthly restrictions and spiritual limitations that are in your life. The Bible says in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the what? Sons of God. So there's that connection between being led by the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit, and sonship, bringing you into freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty and freedom. What did Jesus say in John 8.31? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Here it is. And you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. So there is this connection between God spoke, God's word and freedom in our lives. Freedom in the kingdom begins with God said. Now, we're going to be careful because some people, in order to justify their selfish choices, say God said when God didn't say it was bad pizza the night before or it was just their flesh. And so that is why none of us are an authority unto ourselves. We've actually got to allow good counsel, spiritual counsel to journey with us. And, and even this afternoon, I had the privilege of hanging out uh, with Stephen and discipling him, him a little bit. And God was speaking to him about something, but he was submitting it saying, hey, can you pray with me about this? Can you journey with me about this? Because I think God said, but I really am open to allowing the Spirit of God. I want to submit that. And when people get hurt and wounded in church, they tend to sort of guard their heart, keep their cards to themselves, and they don't allow people, life group leaders or, or, or five-fold ministry gifts, speak into their world. But there is something good about having godly men and women journey with you, not controlling you, but journey with you in your life and in your ministry to help you discern what is God saying. You've got to keep in mind that when Abram heard the voice of God, there was no Bible for him to refer to. And that is why the test of whether God said something or not uh, would, would, would be the, the fulfillment of that word because if it wasn't fulfilled, they'd take you out the back and stone you to death. Aren't you glad we're not under the old covenant anymore in Jesus' name with the amount of mistakes that we may have made when, when it came to God said? But, but freedom, you can have no freedom in the kingdom of God apart from God spoke. The Bible says God spoke to Abram. What did he say? Well, the freedom, freedom in the kingdom of God is a responsibility to steward. Not only did God speak, but God spoke to Abram. Just want you to think about that name, that word right now. That, that word Abram means exalted father. So here is God. He's not just speaking to anybody He's speaking to someone who is already living in God's favour. Wow. He's speaking to someone who is already stewarding that measure of favour that in his family, with his uh, uh, wife and with his extended family, he is celebrated, he's honoured as an exalted father. 
He actually was a blessed man. In the old covenant, the sign of God's blessing was wealth, affluence. He was a prosperous man. He had influence. The household that he was a part of was a significant household of influence. So God was addressing him as an exalted father. But five chapters later, God renames him Abraham. From exalted father to the father of many nations. How many of us know that being the father of many nations is a greater call to steward? It's a greater responsibility to steward in your life. It's great you want to be used more by God, but are you willing to steward the greater responsibility that freedom brings in your life and in your ministry? Many people want greater platforms, greater signs and wonders, greater freedom in their walk with God, but they're not necessarily willing to steward the freedom they already have. You know, when I was an intern back in the uh, 90s, my, my mum and dad's church, my heart used to ache for God to actually give me a greater platform to be used by God. And yet the more freedom over the decades that God has given to me to minister into people's lives is actually comes with a greater responsibility to steward. All promotion is in the kingdom of God, all more freedom is in the kingdom of God, is, is more responsibility to steward. And sometimes more promotion in the kingdom of God is just more problems, more devils, more levels, more devils. And there's more issues and there's more challenges to navigate. And so if we are going to grow in our freedom, right, that, that to, to minister into people's lives. If Abram's going to grow from being Abram, exalted father, to the father of many nations, he was actually called to a greater realm of stewardship. What does Galatians 5.13 says? It says, you were called to freedom, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. So actually, the the freedom that we have in Christ is not about just us alone. It's about through love, serving others. It's about administering the grace that we've received into other people's lives. And so the more free in Christ you become, the greater responsibility you have to serve others around you. This morning, we are taught on uh, what God appoints you to, He anoints you for. And so we said when, you know, what God manifests in you must edify others through you. The freedom that you have in Christ is not about you simply, yay, I'm free, but it's about you being yoked to the law of love, taking that freedom and ministering that grace and freedom into other people's lives as well. That is a responsibility to steward. Abram's encounter continues. And the Lord says to Abram, go from your country. What is that about? If you're going to grow in your freedom in the kingdom of God, you've got to leave your comfort zone. This is a big issue for Australians. We are so comfortable. The church in this nation is way too comfortable. 
and I don't mind saying it because I'm a part of it and I'm a, a leader of one of those churches, but, but in this nation, we don't realise how, how, for all that we've been through the last couple of years, we don't realise how good we've got it in this nation. But if you are going to grow in the freedom that God has given to you and administer that to others, you're going to be willing to leave your comfort zone. What was God saying to Abram? Leave your country. Well, he was saying this, leave those things that you've come to depend upon for your comfort and influence. And the reason that you and I must leave our comfort zone is because the kingdom of heaven is inaccessible if you're not fully surrendered. If you don't come with childlike faith, with a fully surrendered heart, you can't live in, you can't access, you can't experience and taste of the fullness of the power of the kingdom of heaven in your life. What too many of us have is a plan B to fall back on if God doesn't come through. <clears throat> am I right or am I right? And we wonder why signs and wonders don't follow us because we are still living with plan B. I used to think, even over the last two decades of following Jesus and ministry, I've always thought, I haven't lived with a plan B. There's only plan A. And I would say things like, you know, my life is either going to be a spectacular failure or a spectacular blessing to the name of Jesus, uh, depending, because I just don't live with a plan B. But that was until I got totally and utterly smacked by the Holy Spirit seven Sundays ago. And I realised that subconsciously in my spirit in my mind in my heart there was this plan b that still wanted to remain in control of my faculties and remain in control of what people perceived of me and yet when the holy spirit hit me like a bulldozer and i lost complete control i the words that came out of my mouth it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and I didn't realise, but there was something in my psyche, something in my heart that would, that would almost, you know, go to the cliff face of encounter with God and taste of everything at 99.99% and then withdraw. Oh, what would that visitor for the first time think of that? Or, or what, how is that going to be perceived by my peers? And I realised that if I was going to step into the revival that God was wanting to bring into the fullness of freedom, I had to let go of plan B. I had to let go of the controls of the system, operating system of my life. And I actually had to let the Spirit of God completely and utterly take over. I want to say to you, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit to help you live a holy life, a Christ-like life. It is not a license to control what the Spirit will or won't do in your life. And sometimes as a body of Christ, even when it comes to the manifestations of the Spirit, we judge different things and different ways that God is moving and how He works in somebody's life because we, we just don't think that that's how the Spirit of God would work when that's outside of our frame of reference. But if you're going to step in to the fullness of freedom that God is wanting to bring in this house, in your church and in the body of Christ, we've got to let go of plan B. And we've got to embrace all that God is wanting to do. Leave your country, Abram. Leave your comfort zone. Yeah. You see, living with plan B kills your hunger for God. Because you hold back a bit. 
Living with plan B actually enslaves you to fear instead of faith. And the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must have faith, must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith, childlike faith is the only thing that can access the fullness of the freedom of the kingdom of God that you truly desire. So tonight, some of you during this message and at the end of this message need to get rid of plan B. And you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. You can't walk in the fullness of the freedom of God and live with plan B. You have to let it go. You have to surrender it on that altar of living sacrifice. Not only that, but freedom in the kingdom of God requires you to have an upgrade in how you see yourself and your identity. You say, where's that in the text? Well, first of all, he says, leave your country, leave your comfort zone, everything that's familiar to you. Then he says, go from your kindred, leave your family. Growing up in our natural family creates a perception in your mind and in their mind of what your identity is. So no matter what you achieve or what you don't achieve, your family who is familiar with you, little Joey in your upbringing, forms a perception of who you once were. And no matter what you do, Jesus in Nazareth, aren't you Joseph's son? I mean, aren't you, you know, Mary's son and uh, and you're our cousin and we know, we grew up with you. We, 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 we hung out with you. We, we teased the girls with you. We, we did all sorts of crazy, because Jesus is as real and as normal as anybody else. But when Jesus read out Isaiah 61 in the synagogue, the job description of the Messiah and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. His kindred, his family was perceiving him based upon his upbringing when he was a young boy. And yet God the Father was saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when the father says to Abram, leave your kindred, he was calling Abram to actually stop seeing himself according to the familiarity and brokenness of his natural family and begin to identify himself as a son of God in the family of God that God was bringing him into. You gotta see, if you're gonna live in the freedom of the kingdom of God, you gotta stop measuring yourself, perceiving yourself just based upon your kindred or your family because it's interesting just as a prophet is without honour in their own hometown it's interesting how a family member is without profit is without honour in their own family because their family has a perception of who they once were I'm telling you this will set someone free in this room because some of you are in the glory of, 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 this, of the presence of God right now. We're in this revival service. Miracles are breaking out. All sorts of amazing things happen. And then you go and have family lunch. 
And then, you know, you have Christmas dinner and, and everyone approaches you. You know, you could be the, 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 the CEO of Apple or Google and yet you're still little Joey. Do you know what I mean? And, we, and, and as Aussies, we see that. It's like, you know, oh, don't get tall poppy syndrome. We're like, you know, just let's knock him down a few notches. No, no, if you're going to live in the fullness of the freedom of God, you're going to begin to see yourself how God sees you. Oh, God is coming your way tonight. He's creeping up on you. <laughs> it's going to break out in a minute, I'm telling you. <laughs> Because as long as you actually live and conform to an old way of approaching your identity and who you are, you're never going to be able to access the fullness of the kingdom of God. Now, if you were raised, if you grew up in a family that values kingdom culture, there are many wonderful and beautiful things that would reflect an identity in Christ. But even in the most perfect Christian family, there's still brokenness. There's still perceptions. It's very rare to be in a family that actually empowers you to be the fullness of who God actually sees you as. Many people, most people are raised in such brokenness that they default to the perception of that, that their family has around them. And so if your family, if you come from a really broken family, your identity is based on worldly notions, a worldly value system. And many people never escape the box their family has put them in and can be even in the church, but step out of the glory cloud and default back to how their family perceives them. But if you're a child of God tonight, you need to understand you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're no longer dead to sin. You're made alive, you're made alive in Christ. The old has gone. Your family may perceive you a certain way, but the family of God, God, your heavenly Father, sees you. You're sanctified. You're restored. You're empowered. You're a child of God. You're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And so if you're going to live in the freedom of the kingdom of God, you're going to see yourself how God sees you. So freedom in the kingdom of God actually requires you to go beyond the limits of what your family expects of you and to find your identity in God. I have the privilege, you know, of ministering in Asia and uh, so many of my, um, you know, Asian friends and brothers and sisters, uh, you know, in that culture, there is such a culture of honour, but there is also, and every culture has strengths and every culture has weaknesses, right? Uh, but whenever I go and minister in Asia, uh, I, I minister to people that are often bound by shame. They're bound by um, unrealistic expectations from their family line, and they're actually trying to conform to the expectation and the image that their family has of them and whilst aspects of that environment is very honourable, other aspects are completely damaging and binding people up into a place of real restriction from them discovering their freedom in Christ. And so God comes to Abram and he says, not only leave your comfort zone, leave that place of familiarity, but you now have got to stop identifying yourself by how your family perceives you. Yeah. As wonderful as your family might be, 
You've actually got to come into a new family, the family of God. You've still got your natural family. Honour that. Love them. But I've actually called you to be a son and daughter of God. You're now in a different, there's a different pattern. There's a different spirit. I'm telling you, this is setting someone free right now. And so when you come out of the identity and perception that you've defaulted to all your life because your family said, this is who you are and you can't break out of it. And you come into a new creation identity. Now, Abram, now offspring of Abram, you've got to begin to see the world through a different lens. Because freedom in the kingdom of God requires seeing the world through a different lens. Seeing problems through a different lens. So what does God say to Abram? He says, leave your comfort zone, leave your country, leave your kindred. And then he says, and leave your father's house. Many of us don't realize the impact that our father's socioeconomic background, relational health or lack of value system impacts how we actually approach everyday life. We don't realize the extent to which it goes deep. And some people spend their whole lives trying to run away from their father's house. You can go to the ends of the earth from your father's house trying to escape the brokenness and pain. But if that thing is not cut off in the spirit and you come into your new identity with your heavenly father, you will default back to the same value system, the same spiritual vice and approach that you've been exposed to and you've grown up with in your life. Growing up in your father's house and your mother's house has actually created a worldview which has shaped how you interact with the world today. So your father's and mother's socioeconomic status, their value system, maybe their uh, economic class, socioeconomic class, or, or, or maybe their relational health or otherwise shapes everything about how you approach your life. And every, how many know everybody thinks their upbringing is normal until they get married? For those of you who are not married yet, just think about maybe someone you dated or so you think your life is normal until you enter into a little bit into somebody else's life and you realize there is no such thing as normal. Yeah. Right? We all come from different backgrounds. And how many know? For many of us, there is so much to celebrate about our father's house, about our mother's house. I am so grateful to be standing on the shoulders of my mum and dad yeah. and the heritage of faith. And the wonderful things that God has done. And, you know, uh, my dad's here in the front row. And I, for 22 years of my life, I, I sat under his ministry. He discipled me. My mum and dad, I used to sit and eavesdrop in as a little boy in all the Bible studies at home. I can't tell you what intuitively that did in my spirit, yeah. just being around an environment of kingdom. Yeah. I'm standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before me. Both my, my wife and I, my wife is like a fourth generation pastor. I can't tell you the impact of that in our kids and, and the heritage. But, but even in wonderful God-filled environments, there are still things that God has to break us free from. Yeah, that's right. 
I remember when God called us out 22 years ago out of the church movement that we're in. And the church movement that we're in was wonderful. We praised God for it. But they approached God and the Bible. And in fact, my parents' ministry and, and our family was very countercultural in some ways to the movement that we're in. And there was this expression of the Spirit and outpouring gifts of the Spirit, water baptism, lots of beautiful things. But the movement, as wonderful as it was, approached God and the people and the Bible a certain way and, and ritual and all sorts of things a certain way. That when I stepped out and came into a greater freedom in the Spirit, it's like the blinkers came off and I realized what was possible in the kingdom of God. I realized what was capable in God that I had never seen, but God was wanting to open my eyes to see the freedom that I could step into in my life and in my ministry. I remember one of the mindsets of restriction and limitation that I had was, was around God's provision with full-time ministry. And so one of the reasons why I never wanted to be in full-time ministry is because I just thought you'd live a miserable life. And it wasn't because there wasn't joy and fun in our household, but as a pastor's kid, you often see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Does anyone know what I'm talking about, right? And so there were so many blessings that I give God and my, and my parents and the ministry that we're part of honour for, but there was also some pain. And so for me, as I looked at that, I thought, I don't want anything to do with that. And I don't want that. And, and you know, I don't want to, you know, have to uh, be restricted and limitation, all sorts of things. And one of the words that, that you may not even necessarily agree or judge me for, but one of the things that set me free is the Lord said to me one day, son, when I left the police force, he said, son, you work for me now. And by the way, I pay well. How many, how many people want that word in this room right now, right? Of course you do. You heathens. Uh, no, you free children of God. What a weird word to get. But you know what? It was a word that set me free. Because I had minimized, I had limited, I had restricted the call of God to being this miserable, suffering thing, as much as there was beautiful moments, I thought that it, it was, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And whilst there are elements to that in all of our lives, the Lord was saying, son, I'm your boss. I'm your heavenly father. I'm going to look after you. Yeah. Yeah. And he has been so faithful to that word. When we had nothing, he provided everything. Yeah. When our family was in a Bible college dormitory with no money and no, no speaking engagements on the calendar. He gave us everything. Yeah. He was so faithful. He is so faithful. Yeah. And so freedom in the kingdom of God requires you seeing the world through the lens, through the eyes of your heavenly father. Yeah. You've got to leave the limitations, people of God, of your natural father's house. Yeah. As good as it is. As wonderful as it is, as much as you honour your father and mother so that you may live long and dwell in the land, I'm telling you there is a heavenly father and he is perfect and he's exceedingly good and he wants you to live in the fullness of how he sees your life. How did Jesus move in signs and wonders when he was faced with impossible circumstances? Answer, John 5, 19. The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. 
He stopped living his life by just the limitations of Mary and Joseph and he started to tap in to the fullness of heaven, to the fullness of his father. He started to look through the lens of his father's eyes. And I'm telling you, if this revival is going to go beyond just these four worlds and we're going to demonstrate the kingdom of God and all of its fullness and freedom, we've got to begin to look at earth's problems through the father's eyes. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.